0: Boom! We're back again. It's the final week of Matt Damon. It's the talented Mr. Ripley. If um, you have read the title, we will have a big announcement at the end of the show. But first, uh, we're going to do a little podcasting, little movie discussion. Zach is here. Hello. New location, new location for our, our uh, video viewers. Um, I think I've taped the show here before. No, you have, but I'm pretty sure you haven't done it at this angle. I don't remember the window. The okay, background. so you get an,
1: every angle is a new look. A new background i mean the maybe, so,
0: maybe i'll do a show like standing on my head we'll yeah you could
1: show it. a different um section of your white blank ass wall <laughs> <It's> some art
0: <laughs> i've never been an art guy it's very weird um <laughs> <laughs> i think it was when i was like maybe 10 or 11 and then i really we had to like move and i realized how much of a pain in the ass it is to get posters off walls um Sweet. and since then,
1: not and you should also frame your posters you're yeah it
0: is if you're an 11 year old who <laughs> takes his posters off like an idiot it's incredibly hard to get them back um let's uh we're here we're here to talk about movies and not walls let's do the last Letterbox movie to kick ourselves off zach what's the last thing you watched
1: um last thing i watched uh kind of in celebration of french despatch coming out i'm doing a really slow roll of watching through Wes Anderson movies as I did Bot Rocket. I actually did a half hour of the, the commentary and the criterion of bottle Rocket, and then I realized I'd rather just watch the movie. I'm um, really thinking I just want to find a way to very memo tape all commentaries because they just work better for me as podcasts. Because um, they get some interesting um, tidbits from Owen Wilson and Wes Anderson talking about the movie. Um, but It's also just a great movie, and I felt like I didn't want to miss all the dialogue and the music. And um, But it gets better for me every watch. Um, I think it's a unique spot in Mosey Harrison's filmography because it is by far the much more grounded in his style. This is where his style is mostly exhibited through the script, through the dialogue, through the kind of off-kilter plot elements of it all. Um, rather than as much aesthetic style. Some of that's still there. There's still very specific character designs and some of the camera shots are very well but he doesn't get to do the diorama kind of aspects that he gets known for later, as this is kind of um, a, not as proof of concept um, film, but still to get his kind of foot in the door to kind him of start making films. Um, I think this one also compared to other ones is almost equally a Nolan Wilson project. Um, you can really, um, I, I was thinking about the three that he co-wrote with Wes Anderson, which t- tend to be like my, three of my favorites. Um, I think you can find a little bit of a style change in the script between them and you can really start to pinpoint where Owen Wilson's um, voice and humor um, comes into play. Um, and I think a lot of this, a lot in the kid design of Digman, which I think is one of my top five um, let's say it's in characters and I think maybe the best Ellen Wilson performance is just so specifically designed and like a character I just like I've known this kind of guy. I feel like everyone has met someone that that, that kind of strange and wildcardy um, and like a weird rigidness to his like ambition um, that that I think is very specifically detailed and a type of person um, and incredibly funny at times and um, I I can watch that performance. That's what carries the movie for me. It's I find it so delightful. Um, so yeah, Bottle
0: Rocket kind of rules. I was I've always liked Bottle Rocket. Um, I, I will agree that the three that Owen Wilson co-wrote are three of my top four Wes Anderson films. Um, so I definitely agree with uh the sentiments there. It is, Bottle Rocket is really weird because. Some director, you know, I've always, t- we talked about this before, I think, with PTA as an example of a director who is, like, fully formed in their first movie. And then, Wes Anderson is one of those guys, you sort of see the style develop over time, like, you really could not predict from Bottle Rocket that he would make, you know, Grand Budapest Hotel or these stop motion movies. Like, the, the visual style isn't there yet, but it's a really engaging yeah. and really enjoyable film uh, that I just I enjoyed a lot. So, yeah. And the emotional, like, bluntness of the dialogue is
1: pretty similar throughout all those movies that you can see that in Bottle Rocket.
0: Yeah, it's a, quite a good film. And I'm definitely uh, not anywhere near the uh, Wes Anderson stand you are. So yeah. I my uh, appro- appreciation of it. I, I High chance I put in much more after this podcast.
1: <laughs> the best Wes Anderson movie.
0: What is the best Disney animated movie?
1: Rushmore is my favorite. That's also my favorite. I have my my big three are Rushmore,
0: Tenenbaums, and Fox. My big three are Rushmore, Tenenbaums, and Moonrise Kingdom, with uh, Bottle Rocket being my four. Yeah, I've never loved the stop motion stuff as much as uh, others. Although I will agree that I think Fox is a better version of it than Isle of Dogs. Isle of Dogs is a movie I've seen once, thought was very okay, and have never had an interest in. Uh, rewatching, although I may may do a rewatch as we lead up to French Dispatch. Yeah, get them just, be- just because it's been a while. I mean, it, it's mostly the biggest reason is I think it's been a while, and I'm interested to see if my perspective on some of these films would change. I'm gonna look this up. When was the last time I watched Rushmore? And uh, thank God for Letterboxd giving me all this information. Yeah, like 2017. So it's been like four years. So I probably could do with a rewatch, especially stuff like I think I saw Darjeeling Limited like. Five or six years ago, and didn't like it. Tarzan
1: so one of the best that benefits on rewatch and time.
0: I'm interested to see if that uh, that I have a completely different perspective on that on rewatch. Maybe I'll do that. Um, add into that, you know, nine other. This is like a terrible fall to do rewatches because there's so many directors who are coming back with another movie, and you can rewatch like all of them. My cat's like, nails are directly
1: in my knees. Sorry
0: for that. I saw, I, saw, <laughs> I was like, Jesus, what happened to Zach? And I was like, Oh, Zach got clawed. Um. <laughs> So, I have been doing, for the month of October, one horror movie a day. Um, Sounds depressing. So, it's actually not, because I have been doing, like, a really cool version of that, where you don't have to do, you don't necessarily have to do anything, like, bad. So, like, I did a lot of, like, you know, original, um, you know, classic Universal Monster stuff, and then... I got, I was gonna, I did like a bunch of 1980s David Cronenberg horror, and the most, and then a lot of it was also just like picking cooler, older horror films um, to watch. Um, Shout out the Wicker Man for being the best thing I've seen this entire month. But the most recent one, the last thing I logged was Black Christmas, which is the 1974 uh, movie about a sorority house that is terrorized by a stranger. it kind of plays with a lot of really interesting dynamics so you, you the movie starts off and just because of the location you sort of expect a really like straightforward sorority girls slasher boobs kind of like the, the sort of generic kind of laziness um the movie is about a sorority house and they're being harassed by these really nasty prank phone calls and they start trying to trace them while the killer in the film is starting to um, pick off the people one at a time as soon as they disappear. But you also never see the killer's face. You always see um, the POV of the killer, which makes it really interesting. Like, this is a film that is completely – it's interesting. It comes before all all these famous horror franchises, but this movie is completely uninterested with ever making its killer like a recognizable um, subject, which certainly makes it interesting in an era where, like, you know – the look of the killer is kind of so important to like what the franchise or what the movie is. Um, And it ends with like a sort of ambiguous ending where we sort of don't really know who it is. Like we haven't really caught him. It's a, it's kind of a a fascinating and interesting uh, point in the development of the horror genre. Um, I didn't love it as maybe as much as some others. I thought it was merely good, but not great. But I think in terms of its uh, impact on the larger genre, it was a, a worthwhile watch for this month. Yeah, maybe I'll watch it one day.
1: So that slasher genre is one of my like least favorite subgenres that exists, especially for like, the popular subgenres. It's one that's really hard it's to It's not really a, sl-
0: you think it's a slasher, but it's not really. Okay. Hit-
1: but I would say, if I'm going a horror route, my level of horror movies is I like ones that are more monster-based or alien-based, um, the less ones based in, in just like violence and real violence i like more like a mythical quality to my kind of horror movies
0: yeah i mean i think there's some stuff i watched this month that i think you would really enjoy probably i think you would have you would find some enjoyment in like the classic universal monster stuff if you haven't seen it i watched a number of those too but
1: but i'm gonna spend halloween um watch it out family that's how i think halloween should be treated
0: and the one i will really say that i think you should watch is uh the wicker man the original 1970s especially especially as like as much as you were into midsommar i think that you would also be into this film yeah i would just i'm just gonna throw that out there um cult movies i feel like i
1: appreciate on like a like a like i would appreciate a crime movie or a thriller more than like i think
0: it's like i think it's the weird like mysticism of it with the mix of like the mystery and trying to understand because i think half of a cult movie is not waiting for the terrible thing to happen it's trying to understand what's going on in the first place yeah, you you're typically that... given like something is off and it's sort of following the thread of like why does this place feel weird and then you sort of over time go oh they're doing this weird thing they're doing this weird thing and then like you you sort of the at the end is the the realization of why this is so weird in the first place
1: maybe cults have it right and we have it wrong we don't know
0: i don't know should we i don't know if you really want to like go full can like, we
1: start yeah. a call
0: yes only if we can make money off it. That's that's our new And concept. that's the primary thing to do. It's so like you make money, you make do That's
1: why any Patreon page is just a call of donors.
0: I can't really argue with that because uh, <laughs> I guess it depends on how toxic your fandom is and how much yeah. of uh, a group of sycophants they are. Uh, if if they can if they can disagree with you, then it's not a cult. If they can't disagree with you, then then it definitely is a cult. Um Let's jump ahead to our Matt Damon film, um, which is, of course, The Talented Mr. Ripley, the end of this wonderful five film run we've seen. Um, and unlike some of the ones that we did recently, I do think this says something more about Damon. Let's do a little plot summary. Um, do you want to do plot summary or should I? Um, go for it. Um, Rich people on yachts.
1: Uh,
0: Matt Damon plays Tom Ripley, who is a professional con man and uh, faker. Who is basically pretends that he is uh, a Princeton graduate, so he can talk to this guy and into this is, party. Is and he some... a professional
1: or is he just like fall into this? He's not really doing it for money either, he, as much as just so, like attention
0: and belonging. I think he's at the professional to the point where like this is not an accident. He doesn't accidentally stumble into this party and he's it, like there is clearly thought process around this. Like he is intentionally being like, I am going to replace this, my friend at this party playing piano, because I think this will do something for me. Um, he meets the father of Jude Law's Dickie Greenleaf convinces him that he can, he knew Dickie and that he can go to, was it Rome and bring Dickie back from where he is in Italy. He goes there, he strikes up a friendship with Dickie and, um, Dickie's girlfriend, played by Gwyneth Paltrow. They have a relationship. Um, At some point, uh, Dickie basically yells at him and he kills Dickie. Then he starts to impersonate Dickie and pretend to be him um, while hiding this from other people. He's known to some people in in Rome as Tom Ripley and some people as Dickie Greenleaf. He somehow manages to... He essentially manages to escape from this predicament where he's almost caught because... A wonderful the wonderful Philip Baker Hall shows up and basically is like, Yeah, we we knew that Dickie Greenleaf was like this wacko. We sent him to Europe because he basically almost killed somebody. Um, we're just not gonna talk about this, and the entire thing's gonna get smashed, like you know, pushed into the rug, and we'll all move on. Um, Ripley jumps on a ship with his lover lover played by Jack Davenport. Um, oh wait, is that not Matthew Good? Yeah, it's not Matthew, Matthew Good. Well thing,
1: I just assumed that was Matthew Good. No, it's Jack Davenport, the guy from they, Pirates of the Caribbean. It looks a lot like him. Don't act like I remember anything about the Pirates of the Caribbean was, movies. They,
0: I'm gonna be hot take. I think outside of being British people, I think they have a very minimal resemblance, and outside this of that they, is the,
1: the way they speak and their acting style are identical.
0: Okay, I will. I will allow that. I think physically, they don't look anything alike. Like their facial structure is like massively different. I just
1: assumed this was a young Matthew Good.
0: Yeah, but Matthew Good's face is, i don't think—literally ever changed in his life. Um, he, I don't think Matthew Good doesn't age. Is the is the thing I've learned from looking at pictures. of. Jack Davenport does. Um, and then on the ship, uh, Ripley admits he's lied about who he is, and then kills his lover. And that's the final shot of the film. Very ambiguous. And exact Zach is now looking at pictures. Of Matthew yeah, Good. Matthew
1: Good would have been twenty-one um, years old when this came out, so he might be a little too young.
0: How old is, is Matthew Good? Much older than how old it? Okay, let's now. He's
1: younger than Jack Davenport. He's younger than all of them. It's about f- he
0: was six years younger than all of them. He's seventy-eight. The rest of them are all in like the sixty-nine to seventy-two range. Because I actually looked this up last night because I wanted to be sure. I was like, I didn't. You're really- also looking at Matthew Good's birthday. No, no, no. I was <laughs> I was looking at the, the ages of the cast members because I was trying to figure out if they actually were all from the same age group, yeah. or like if they were actually they're actually shockingly close together in age.
1: But they're they're it's they're defining actors of their generation. This is like a top tier casting to like define the '90s and the '2000s moving on, um, taking the, the the five main actors. They're all like some of the best for that period.
0: Yeah. And all within five years of age, I believe 67 to 72 yeah.
1: in a combination of like stars, movie stars, and just like very great actors like Kate Blanchett and Philip Seymour Hoffman. I
0: don't know. Kate Blanchett, arguably a movie star at this point.
1: She's both. She's one that runs the gamut between.
0: Well, I think her and Damon are both. Yeah. I think Paltrow is
1: a movie star slash celebrity.
0: Yeah, I would say she's more in the celebrity movie star track. She just decided to move away from movies. Law is more of the act of the like, club. I don't, he's, I don't, he's weird. He's a I feel movie
1: like, star that can be a great actor if you give him more character roles.
0: But is also not a very successful movie star, if we're being honest. Like, he's somebody he, that he makes, was in
1: 500 movies, um, according to Chris Rock um, in that early 2000s period.
0: No, but he's funny because he's like, he's somebody who like, I think like they've tried to make him a movie star in so he's a, many things. Be and a he's better in, actor. Well, yeah, I think he's one of these people that, like, I think that he's one of those classic actors, sort of like Brad like Pitt. Colin where, like, like Brad Pitt and Colin Farrell, where when you just make them be the attractive leading guy, they're really not that, they're not into it, and they're kind of bad at it, but if you let them be, like, more interesting characters. Yeah, I mean, this
1: is the best combination of both. He has to be an interesting character and just be a, like, really good looking guy.
0: Yeah, and then Kate Blanchett is kind of like shocking how good she is in this stuff. And I feel like very this must be relatively early on in her career.
1: This is post Shakespeare in Love.
0: She in Shakespeare in Love? Am I crazy? Keith Poucho? Oh, I was saying Kate Blanchett.
1: Oh, I got it backwards. Yeah, Kate Blanchett, I guess, early on. Yeah. She had Elizabeth that she was nominated
0: for, I think, already, right? Maybe a year before, right? Am I, <laughs> I feel like one of
1: her Elizabeth's because she's done multiple.
0: Well, isn't aren't they all of
1: them were in the beginning, you know, of their career? I'm really starting to.
0: Well, her Elizabeth's are connected, aren't they? They are connected.
1: Where's I mean, Philip Seymour Hoffman had before this? This
0: is just called the IMD block, the IMDb block, yes. So at this point, she'd sort of only done. Oh, this is this, yeah. So this is, yeah, it's just Elizabeth before this. Um. Matt Damon. I mean, weirdly, Matt Damon is by probably by far the most established of this group.
1: Oh, Philip Seymour Hoffman was in Big Lebowski, Happiness, but he really just like a couple years before started to get stuff. I know it's the same year.
0: Yeah, he's sort of like he, his thing at this point is uh, like this. This role very much fits into the Philip Se- Seymour Hoffman aesthetic, which is like he's very talented, but he's not going to play the lead. He's going to play a supporting character that's sort of a bit weird
1: also think of how well-rounded these characters are. Thinking between comparing his character here to Magnolia to a year later and almost famous are Boogie three Nights. wildly differently char- different characters.
0: Well, even just look at Boogie Nights, Big Lebowski, and then this. Like those are three completely yeah. different
1: characters. This is, this is like a standalone and someone who is like the rich playboy, cocky and arrogant is
0: not like his usual go-to thing. You no, so I mean, so great – no, he's usually kind of a bit of a loser and a little bit of like the guy who gets picked on by everybody else.
1: Yeah, this he's a bully.
0: So let's talk about what this means for Damon. Um, this, for me, Damon is like, Weirdly, it's Damon is like a lot of guys of his era, and Pitt is another one. where like this really fell into this thing, where they did not want to be known purely for their charm and their looks. Like Damon could have had an entire career just playing the lead, the like the they hero know, He could have he could have played the hero character in every movie because he's incredibly charming and he's very attractive. And we also talked this in the last duel. Is that Damon is somebody, and this movie is kind of the origin story of this. Who is always willing to be like, yes, I will play like the he is. Ripley, Playing he's off of his creepy, archetype. he's weird, he's bizarre. He's like you don't really, you don't really ever like him. Like you sort it's of like, like him. What
1: if he was always impersonating as Matt Damon as a ploy to get people to one things When the true self is a coward and nervous and a uh, fake. evil, fake. It is a I, it is unsure weird. Unsure of themselves.
0: It is weird how it does really play off of his own persona, where like. The best parts of Ripley are like the, the Damon aesthetic, like the really charming, nice dude. You just really want to hang smile. out with him. He's very friendly. He's very charming. But then there's also all the thing, front. There's just this weird and creepy shit, you know, like the stuff he says sometimes and even like the way he views relationships and how like um, transactional everything is with him. Like for everything with him, it's like I can either have that person or somebody else can have that person. There's not like, you know normal people have friendships and like you have that's your friend and that's his friend and you just kind of roll and everyone's like and he like very much views people as like either things he can use or threats to the relationships that he's attempting to build
1: yeah he's kind of single-minded in the relationships that matter he really only cares about developing it with um true law's character when everybody else is just a means to get that notice and that reputation to get close to him um in a way that also creates the weird dependability issues that all his kind of evil acts come out of from jealousy from selfishness um kind of from this false idea of a relationship that he created between them that never even really existed
0: right and it's impossible to talk about this movie without like let's let's dive into the uh the tangled web that is sort of the the homosexual undertones, yeah, yeah. Like it's much more
1: upfront than I remembered from my first few like, He doesn't I, hide that.
0: He is gay, he has a gay relationship at the end, even though they never say the word. See, but the thing is, I feel like they hide it for a lot of the movie, or he doesn't admit it, he never really admits it. It sort of just kind of happens. Like we sort of imply that they are now a couple at the end of the film. But yeah. um the and this kind of really much clouds the whole Dickie greenland relationship. He's clearly sort of sort of in love with Dickie. Dickie is like Why, like, Dickie has no interest in it. Like, there's just absolutely no interest in return. No, he
1: he was just someone that he was seeking attention from. It was primarily transactional for him in a way. He just likes being the center of attention. He likes having people wow and rue. And once, you know, that has passed its time, they can move on to the next, like,
0: person event. It's why Dickie, in some ways, is so intriguing but so infuriating to Tom Ripley is that he is exactly what he wants and exactly the opposite of what he wants because he's someone who's also transactional and uses people and like ripley wants to be the only person doing that but he's also like really charming so he's engaging for a while but then you see why ripley sorts of grows to hate him so much and then kills him is because he does exactly the same things that tom does himself
1: yeah but also exactly what he wants but it's temporary um, Dickie's relationship with everything is temporary. I think, Gwyneth Paltrow says the line at some point. It's like the reason you love him is because when you're this nervous tension, he makes you feel better than anything
0: else. But then someone else comes along and it moves forward. Yeah. So, really, it's an interesting moment where she admits that, where it's like she's just so honestly admitting this just truly massive flaw in this person that she's like supposedly going to spend the rest of her life with, you know, in the way that's just, um, very interesting that the character is simultaneously that honest but also that accepting of that that sort of like
1: because because you know, i think it's also a play on this rich community that every everyone in a way is in an act everyone's putting on the front whether they're doing it as you know evil as matt damon's character is or even Greth paltrow you can assume knows of his affairs and they kind of man that he truly is but to keep that act of having this glamorous rich lifestyle with a glamorous future husband that also is you know high um class um you have to, to kind of ignore these other things to, to to carry on the the cover
0: it's really a movie full of like sociopaths and psychopaths like even
1: james Redborn as dad Does he truly care about Dickie? And you see at the end when he dies, it's all just trying to cover it up for his reputation. The only reason he
0: probably wants him back is for his reputation of what his son is doing. Yeah, I mean, I think most of his interest in his son is his ability to control him, to prevent him from doing something that damages the family reputation. I mean, the movie is just full of like crazy, you know, sociopaths and psychopaths. Ripley is a psychopath. Yes, exactly. We are psychopaths
1: one of us is a sociopath one of us is psychopath
0: tell us down in the comments which one is the comments is. <laughs> um but it is like a movie of just people who are just crazy like um ripley just wants to control people and do stuff um and then is willing to kill people if they get in his way and prevent him from like living his fantasy which is sort of this like weird thing where like he really just likes living in this world and so, but he's willing to just go to crazy lengths to, to allow himself to live in this um Dickie Greenleaf is, like, sort of a sociopath. He just treats everybody around him as, like, you know, replaceable, and, you know, even, like, his responses to certain actions in the film, like, you can see how weird both characters are and sort of why they build this friendship is they are both such weird men. Um, like, there's the like, to the moment where the woman's body bobs up and she's drowned herself, and he just starts screaming about an ambulance, which is such a bizarre response from somebody after you've seen a dead body. He's like, why would you scream for an ambulance? Like, there's an ambulance can't save a dead person. Like they're just, they're just such weird. And I think the. I think that's
1: like a natural reaction of someone who gets frightened. Like you just want to like not believe they're fully dead, and you're getting help. That was showing that he had some guilt. He was trying to like get some. I also think I also think a, a statement awful. about how out to of touch
0: out of touch, how out of touch he is with like real life. Yeah. He said that keep. I mean, if you think about it, Dickie Greenleaf's life is sort of this weird fantasy thing, like he basically almost killed somebody in the States. So they sent him to Europe where he hangs out in a yacht and does whatever the want he wants all day. Like there's not a, it's not a normal lifestyle for yeah. anyone.
1: Life is just about the fun and leisure and that's his relationships. They're essentially toys to him. And that's why, and he says like, you're boring um, Tom. And that's how, when, why he moves on for people, he just gets bored and just like a toy and time for the next thing.
0: Yeah. Um, I think Damon is actually kind of amazing in this. Um, his ability to switch one of his best
1: performances.
0: I, I would agree. I think it is so impressive how he can go from creepy to charming to ch- creepy to charming, like back and forth. Like the ability to just the small differences in the way he delivers lines or the way he looks at people that makes him look like he's you know like a charming normal person versus like some kind of bizarre weirdo. Um, it's just like the the small eccentricities and the small differences is what makes the performance. Like, yeah. so unique and so interesting to watch.
1: And especially as it gets near the end of the film, there's a, a real sympathy he has with the character, too. There, there's a real pathos you start to get for this horribly manipulative character as he starts to get a little more in over his head and things start to crumble and lead to that final scene as he's, like, crying during the last murder and the voiceover. Um, but I think his performance starts to... Emit a lot more of that confusion, that real sadness that he's kind of been burying to keep his plan. But but throughout, you can see his actions are all out of, I don't know how that's the right word for this, but a, a hate of himself in a way, probably a, a sadness and a hate for him being a homosexual man as a self-hate and not being able to live the life he wants. And didn't he act out of his most negative impulses as a way to refuse it? And i think matt david does a great job at letting that character reveal the emotional pitfalls of that character
0: there's also like an arrogance to the character where like they think they're so good at pretending to be somebody else and pulling off this scheme like they're so like even the way the character shows us the entire plot of like calling themselves from distant places so it's clear that there's actually like he creates a trail and a group of evidence like To the point where, like, he's so arrogant that he's just willing to tell by the end of the film, he's willing to just tell people he's been making it up the entire time and act like this is a total, like, an ordinary and normal circumstance.
1: And that's in the one of the earlier conversations he has with Dickie when he just lets it out right away, doing the impersonation of James Redborn of his dad, um, kind of blowing the whole purpose right there pretty quickly. Um, Either a smart strategic player on how to change the relationship to what he wants rather than being the spy um but also like just that confidence of like look how i like toured with your dad and toured with you in a way of revealing his plan but doing really weird and it's kind of a creepy performance there of how he delivers the impersonation of reborn well
0: it's also one of those moments where like it's funny and charming in the moment because you don't know any of the darker nature of the character yeah. but then after you know the darker nature of the character that moment is much more sinister yeah i think sort of the, you
1: see, like he's watching everybody and taking notes that's where you start to see like gift he has like as a conman that becomes dangerous
0: right he's not doing this as like a fun jokey thing it's like no he literally tries to copy people because that's what he wants to do with his life he's I copying
1: the, dickie for half the film
0: the brilliance of the movie though is that even at the end like the movie almost does the same thing to you that he is trying to do to other people in the movie. Like the, he almost, you gain sympathy for the character when he's charming and fun. And then you were like repulsed by his weirdness And you sort of get pulled in and out and in and out as you watch this film. Because there are moments where Tom Ripley seems like a really charming and nice person that you want to root for. And there are also moments where you would like to, you hope this guy gets his comeuppance because he's just evil and weird and bizarre. But there's also a smartness to the film where they always put him into contact with the people he's killing, the people he's harming. Up and are like, sort of like not great people. So it's like you have this weird you can sort of get away with this weird morality to the film where he kills Dickie, but Dickie's kind of a terrible person. So you as an audience member is not necessarily super saddened by his loss. The yeah. same thing with Freddie miles is like, he's also kind of a Dick. It's like, there's a moment where you're sort of.
1: They're bullies. Essentially they get tr- exhibited as prep school bullies. So it's kind of, you want the the vengeance that Matt Damon seems like these are people that have held him down for years. That almost, that's why he's acting out of, rather than
0: you see the trail kind of continues. And what's makes the ending so impactful is that not only is you're not surprised that he would murder somebody else. Why I don't fully understand why he murders him though. Because he told him about his lie and he oh, can't right. let anybody he can't That's, let anybody know that. But murdering Peter Smith King's is a Jack Gavin character is a character who is throughout the film seemed like a genuinely really nice person and had I mean, a genuinely
1: like a connected relationship at least with the f- False version that ripley creates of himself
0: yeah They're so short, like short. it's a moment where you're not surprised that he would murder him because he's proven that he's capable of murder throughout the film but the fact that he would murder somebody who he actually had a connection to and who is actually not a bad person is why you just leave the end of the movie just like somewhat shocked and like with speechless it's such a it's such a provocative ending it's to also just-
1: really well directed and shot I think the the craft of the final scene, how it cuts from not seeing it From having the very like loving language that Jack Davenport is giving the character saying like I like why I love you and you're this kind of person, and then it goes to like the friendly you're crushing me as you don't see this, you just see Matt um see Ripley by himself in a room and it gets you know darker and the your crushing becomes more intense and you hear Matt Damon crying, so the way it shifts from the romantic conversation to the really intense murder without seeing anything all through voiceover while just looking at um, Ripley's face is like kind of crushing, kind of heartbreaking in a really effective way.
0: It's really smart that they don't show the act of violence. Yeah. Because you never could – you never could have that moment of like questioning his morality at the end. If you'd see him murder somebody that you knew was a good person, we've been able to get around the murders of the two people in the film because they're not good people and we're not necessarily rooting for them as the audience. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a very provocative and very, there's also something
1: about hearing his crying detached from watching him cry. So hearing him cry while looking at his usual, stoic So stoic stone face kind of like a reveal into the real inside um underneath the mask that he's creating of himself um simultaneously what you showed i think is is very
0: effective yeah i would agree um let's talk about some other characters uh Gwyneth Paltrow kind of a nothing character for being honest I, I don't think she's bad in the film but it's she's so, good it's i think she's good in the movie i think it's but it, i think it's like the sort of the classic like girlfriend character where like there's outside of the one scene at the end where Damon gets really creepy and bizarre with her and she like starts crying. No and I not... think
1: the one scene where we already discussed where she kind of reveals everything she already knows about Jude Law and that she has really deep insight into who that character truly is. And she just decides to move on with relationship errors. I think that's a good performance in that scene. No?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think it's, she's not given a ton of moments. It's, it's kind of in and out. She's there to be charming for part of it. I think Jude Law is also like equally great, and I believe he's Oscar nominated for this performance. Uh, I mean, just it was a star-making
1: performance of him never fully reaching the potential that people thought he would have, but
0: still, people were ready to anoint him. It's also a weird performance in his legacy because what what other stuff in his career has been like this? Like this just does not feel like the young Pope. I don't know. I don't know what that's about. (laughs) I don't know either. And then he just, like, then he got really kind of – he did some good stuff, but he also got stuck in a lot of really bad stuff.
1: Yeah, and the bad stuff is when they were trying to make him, like, a romantic comedy icon. But even within that, he did, like, Road to Perdition as, like, the creepy-ass and ugly, like, serial killer photographer. He's good in AI. Um, he's really good in AI. That's a really good play on his kind of movie star persona, too, because he's, like, a robot version of Jude Law.
0: There's so many movies in there where it's just, like, you know – Get stuck in like. I will told Mountain him before I heard Dom anyway. I was like the only fan of that movie. I don't but, like the movie, but I think he's good in it. Yeah. I think he's trying a lot, and I think that I think he does. He's a really weird actor, an interesting actor. I, I mean, I, I, he's one of those people like I feel like I I I don't dislike him on screen, but also like. I think that there's like you have to with with Jude Law you have to be smart about which movies you watch like you have to skip probably seventy five percent of the stuff he does because very little of it is worth actually engaging with. So wait, I just had this thought while you were talking, but yeah. is he American in this movie? And I just didn't amazed that
1: he just has a rich guy accent. I guess he's playing yeah.
0: American. I feel like he's he's, he's, he's so British in it though. He is American, but I feel like he's doing the, the Cary Grant uh, yeah. mid-Atlantic accent more than he yeah. is, like, any specific American.
1: Because I would say why why this performance works so well is it really pl- plays up on, I think, the best use of his persona, which is the, like, really intense, rich British poshness that can also be kind of cloying and, or isolating to other people in a way. Uh,
0: yeah, he has this,
1: like, he acts in a way like that... Charming, like, but you hate him because he's just thinks they rule the world well like
0: you just you know it's it's one of those performances where like there's Bear. always he put there's a barrier put you but between you and him at all times like it's very clear that we don't live in the same worlds we don't interact in the same ways we're not allowed to think in the same ways we don't have the same resources and like he Speak might be charming yourself. and i'm going on my yacht next weekend
1: <laughs> lake yacht i want you Lake to yacht. Here. we're now we're on the cuyahoga river Never it's forget, like Aspen Queen.
0: Never forget. Uh, Jude Law is the star, is the future star of Zach Ford's favorite movie of 2022, which is what? Is it Peter Pan? Peter Pan and Wendy, directed by David Lowry. Who's he? Is he playing Hot
1: Hook? Hook. Yeah, That's weird. He should play the crocodile. He should play the. I don't know if
0: he decided to play the crocodile. To be honest.
1: <laughs> he just goes and goes tick
0: tick tick. We'll we'll over. I'm trying to see if they they've cast the crocodile jim gaffigan is his mate is mr smee that sounds like disney's choice yeah <laughs> sounds like something they would do for a casting i mean i think disney was at some point was like hey dude you gotta put and you gotta put somebody with a recognizable name in your movie because should i gonna... log this now already and not a 10 out of 10 but probably a nine out of 10 i just put it as a nine out of 10 right now zach you gave like what did you give didn't you give nine to freaking wendy movie that's a great movie, objectively terrible, and I
1: only gave Pan an eight out of ten. Wow, you're really holding back, Brain. That's one half star higher than Woman in the Window.
0: (laughs) Just Zach's like, look at all my garbage. (laughs) I'm just going through (laughs) Joe Wright's (laughs) movies. Um, but yeah, Jude Law is really good in this. I think he. It's interesting because it's a type of role that I feel like he sh- should have gotten... Like, I feel like we wanted more of this guy and less of the romantic lead. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, he's a charming dude, but he's also like, there's something about him that always seems... uh
1: it fits good in thrillers. I think... You know what he would be great in? Or would have in the prime too, would have been some kind of like um, murder mystery like a Knives Out. or Those like rich community of people If someone did something villainous and everyone is suspicious is kind of just a great use of that persona. He should, should always have some level of suspicious suspicion to why is this guy act like this?
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Kate Blanchett plays like literally has like what, two, three scenes in that, the film, but you can, yeah. you yeah. can also sort of tell that like, yeah, this person is a legitimate lead Starry. star. Um, Will be around for a while. She's one of those, it's so, the weirdest thing about Kate Blanchett is that she does not look like she's aged. No, she's this is like nineteen. While
1: simultaneously looking like a older woman, but still looking the same. I don't, like right, it's it's like, to say like she doesn't. She doesn't still look twenty, but she still looks like she did when she was twenty.
0: This now explains why my so this is what I was googling is that when she comes on screen and she's playing the contemporaries. Her and Hoffman were the two I was like, okay, I I can I can I can buy Paltrow, Law, and Damon being roughly the same age group, mm-hmm. but I was like, Kate Blanchett has to be like ten years older than him, right? No, she's like exactly the same age as Matt Damon. Yeah, but she's like the difference is Matt Damon has aged over time. Kate Blanchett has sort of just started older. Well, well, Matt Damon kind of looked really young. He had he did for a childish face. Yeah, he looked like he had a real baby face. But she's just one of these people that, like. She never looked that young. Like she's playing, like she's kind of playing what, like twenties at this point.
1: Mm-hmm. Like but she, she still, like, seems twenties. But I think a lot of that's in her performance. 30, she's 30, she has that kind of naive earnestness in her performance that is very twenties ish, twenties ish rich this.
0: Yeah, it's like the weird thing is you could sell me that Cate Blanchett is their age group, or just you could sell me that Cate Blanchett is is Dickie Greenleaf's dad's wife like Dickie Greenleaf's mom. I think
1: this has started to become really rude to Kate Blanchett like
0: it, it's not it's not a statement about it's not I'm not trying to say she looks she's old or like unattractive I'm saying she, she there's something about her that doesn't feel like she's it like ages. a 20s There's like a real agelessness to it. I mean, there's a reason she played Galadriel and she could sort of play Galadriel in the early 2000s and the early 2010s, and it didn't look different. I think the same thing
1: with Paul Rudd. People talk about Paul Rudd's agelessness a lot, but you think even he was in like cluelessness, he always looked a lot older than I think you're supposed to. He just like has always looked 35. Whether he was 20 or 50, he's always looked 35.
0: Speaking of somebody else who, maybe this is slightly more insulting, definitely has always looked older, is Philip Seymour Hoffman has never looked like that young of a guy. I think it's
1: because his hair is so light. And his face is so worn down.
0: I feel like he also just, like, he looks like he might be in his 20s. He's just in his 20s and maybe has, like, a really serious substance or alcohol problem. But then um, two years later,
1: or one year later, he's in all same as playing what is, like, an older guy who definitely has a substance problem.
0: He just looks like, he looks like if, if him and Dickie are the same age, he's just prematurely aged either due to poor genetics yeah. or like just bad lifestyle factors. Cause like, he just looks much worse than, <laughs> I mean, Dickie's also like in much better shape. So like he probably takes care of himself a little bit better than um, yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman does. But this
1: is a good moment for Philip Seymour Hoffman to show really what he's going to be known for, which is just coming in for like two scenes and stealing like every second, just nailing and, like every, so owning every line he gives.
0: Yeah. He's um, yeah. He's, Can I
1: tell you I've never been – I, like, never started out hating the name I pick for a show, um, but then really starting to love it, like, 30 minutes in. I think this might be my best nickname I've ever created. <laughs> Peeper Steve Moore Hoffman for anybody
0: that is not – He's – yes, yes, yes. yes. He's very talented. Um, what do you think of James Reborn as the dad? I think he's kind of the classic, you know, dad dad actor. He has a real, like, disappointed yeah. look.
1: Um, I like the James Reborn presence.
0: Yeah, I'm a And, and then, I, said, uh,
1: he, I think important thematically because he's another one that's just trying to like keep his rich guy cover of having his like family together and amounting to something without truly caring about it. And I think, especially his later scenes, um, that comes off that kind of lack of true like love and empathy for for Jude Dahl's character, and more just like it's a calculating act.
0: i do love the final the final goodbye with tom ripley where it's like they shake hands and there's this real like like we both know something else is going on here but we're gonna swipe it under the rug because we really don't want to have to deal with anything beyond like we'll go home we'll do our morning we'll do our act and we'll play our game and like we don't really want to deal with the fact that you know dickie was probably doing a lot of other stuff and like potentially you know much more involved in
1: Kind of you know, telling, he's baby. Best. He's definitely he's doing tons of coke or heroin. He didn't get into that, but it has to be right.
0: Strike me as a – yeah, he seemed like a real coke gamer, if I'm going to be it's honest. It's so
1: early for coke, though.
0: Yeah, but he just seems all I mean, He's in the
1: jazz him. scene, which is like prime heroin time.
0: This is true. Um, and then Philip Baker Hall playing his uh, like private detective, whose basically only job is to be like, yeah, we're not going to really do anything. We just don't want to, you know – deal with what's going on here we're just going to kick him out and be like just you know we'll pretend that we're fine and yeah. we're good and don't tell anybody that we sent him over here the reason we actually sent him over here is because he almost killed somebody and like that's actually why he's over here it's not just because he's hanging out it's like we had to sit it's literally the um, <laughs> it's Michael and the Godfather being like we're going to send him to Europe because then we'll let things blow over yeah. while the criminal <laughs> stuff happens and they can't arrest him while he's in Europe because like they won't be able to find him yeah. Do you have any other thoughts on this film? Um, it looks great. You get
1: a lot of great European, uh, like lakesides, riversides, beaches, great, great cities. It's a great. good tourist movie. Some it people do, do just like to watch movies to see the world around them. And it's a, it's a great uh, living life vicariously through rich, evil people kind of movie.
0: Yeah, it's literally like they. Beautiful. They actually shot in Italy, which is, you know, I feel like this is such a classic, like, old school movie thing is that they would actually go and shoot all the Italy scenes in Italy. Like, now they'd be like, how can we make Toronto look like Italy? You know, which, like, movies are so invested in, like, you know, keeping budgets down and saving money in different ways. And the other thing, a big thing to talk about this is this is, like, a legitimate hit. This movie makes $128 million.
1: Very good. And so gay. It's so, it's like, it's, it's such a gay movie to be that much of a success in 1999. It's
0: actually kind of, if you think about it, it's kind of impressive that Damon even took this role because I feel like playing a gay role in 1999, Ryan, the and especially crime of
1: a, him becoming a movie star too.
0: Right, like that's like arguably not a very good like career choice at this point. Like that could, you know, if you're Matt Damon, half of your appeal is that you're this you know leading guy, charming dude, like this movie could have like seriously damaged that if um, people are sort of looking at him more in the vein of this role than like, you know, what he was actually doing up until this point.
1: Yeah. So I'm looking at what happened to Anthony Mangella's career. Cause he had English patient before this big hit Oscar winner.
0: Yeah. Huge
1: movie. Then, then this big hit had cold mountain, which had some nominations and is like one of my wife's favorite movies.
0: Really bad movie. though.
1: I don't think he has much memory after that, and then only has one movie after that that I've never heard of, and then just falls off. Cold Mountain was not a failure, though, to be a career killer. Yeah, it's just, uh, so I don't really know what he chose because he had Breaking and Entering, it was his last movie in two thousand six with Drew Law. And I've never heard of it, and then he's just kind of done, and he did one I've, episode
0: of. I've heard like, of like, it. Did a TV pilot. He did a. Is he alive? Episode. No, he's dead.
1: Okay, he that, was, that's why. That's why he doesn't make movies. He wrote, he wrote
0: <laughs> he wrote the uh the musical Rob Marshall musical 9 that was released after his death. Well, so that sort of explains it.
1: Morbid way to solve why his career ended.
0: actually kind of like 9. That's a we're taking one part. Um Yeah, I guess it's um But yeah, no, he has a he's a he for a career that is not many movies. Like it is one, two, three, three, two four, three. five, six—like literally, like seven. It's seven movies, and three of them are just massive hits, huge Oscar plays. He was on a
1: streak. Yeah, I don't. Just, I don't know much about his earlier films.
0: No, I don't know either. I I'd like never.
1: The English Patient really blew him into like the next level.
0: Well, he wins. A, he wins Best Director for The English Patient. and he get you know he's getting nominated for you know he's getting several nominations for director or screenplay for english patient ripley in cold mountain you know it's it's impressive it's impressive and then he you know just i feel like we saw this in the 90s a decent amount where you'd see these people where they come up and they'd have um like you know really hot like hot streak three runs i feel like people try to do a better job managing their careers yeah. And also, I feel like I think another thing is that just the, the budgets in the studio system have been rained down. So it prevents like the sort of big swings and misses that directors might take that would um, allow them to hit really big heights and then crash really far.
1: Yeah. I was just wondering because this is, I think, like a perfectly directed movie. Yeah, I would agree. In execution. Because <laughs> to me, where I like judge a lot of direction is just how the tone is controlled. and the, the tone is controlled in this. So um eloquently in a way that i think is really tricky with with the material that they're dealing with and the kind of character that they're dealing with with ripley it's
0: a weird place for damon's career too because like next year is not a 2000 is not a good year for him because he does titan A.E., legend of Bagger vance and all the pretty horses and the cameo in (laughs) finding forester so that's not a good year for an actor 2001, he does, like, a cameo in Jay and Silent Drop Strike Back, and he does The Majestic, the voice in that. But then he's, like, in Ocean's Eleven. But, like, you can also see, like... But he's, how like, how a sidekick like, in Ocean's Eleven. He really is. He's like kind of a doofus. It's actually kind of crazy. I was I rewatched all the Ocean's Eleven movies recently. It's shocking how little Damon <laughs> plays into, like, the main plots and, like, the main, yeah. like, story. Like he is I feel there. like
1: it's almost like Brad Pittridge being, like, you think you want to be, like, one of us, but you're, you're still at the kids' table.
0: Throughout the whole of Ocean's Eleven, and then the next year he does some stuff that is pretty pretty forgettable. But he it's also the year that he gets um, Born Identity, and that's kind of the thing that changes his uh, career and flips him back in a different direction.
1: Okay, so do you want to end this with your top three Matt Damon movies?
0: You want to end this the top three Matt Damon? All right, I I don't
1: have this prepared at all either. I'd rate this up right now.
0: All right, well, let's 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 do some top They don't three. have to be ranked, but just three on the top of your heads. Well, I have a list. I just want to find the list. You have go. a list. <laughs> of course you do. If I was going to watch all that Damon stuff. I've seen most of it. I've seen like 70%. of the I movies. think my top three are easy. All right, why don't you go with your top three, and then I'll give mine up to you.
1: I'm going to go Whoa, one good go, Hunting. Yeah. It feels like a good choice. I got two The Martian and three Ripley.
0: Okay, so I would also have Good Will Hunting, but I would throw Born Ultimatum in there.
1: And what's your third?
0: Well, okay, so the question is, what about movies where it's not a Damon movie? Like, I love True Grit, but I don't consider that a Matt Damon movie. I
1: think he's so great in that, though. He's great in that
0: that. movie. But then also, I mean, like... Then the problem is you get into, like, the four and a half stars ones, and I, you know... Departed, Ford v Ferrari, Rounders. I I haven't seen seen Departed in years. Last Duel. I just there's so many good movies here. I just
1: love The Martian. I think The Martian's the best use of his movie stardom to me. Just like I can see that.
0: I mean, I really like The Martian. I I, I never got people were always really kind of critical of that one. I was never a big fan of that. Very Um, watchable, very delightful. He has so many good movies though, like a shockingly large number Mm -hmm. of good movies. Like you could go if you were like, I'm gonna watch. Twenty-five Matt Damon movies in a row—that would actually be a really fun experience.
1: Yeah,
0: because like no Tom like Hank's
1: experience, but it would be a good experience. Yes,
0: there's a lot of similarities there. Like they're very uh... talk about this. Um, any final thoughts on Talented Mr. Ripley before we get to our big announcement? Nah, great, great movie.
1: movie and a good mix-up. And these other kind of like real movie stars movies you've been watching. This one is a little different, a lotter, a little weirder.
0: I would agree. All right, big announcement time. So, um, there's no way to we're say starting this. to call.
1: You're,
0: <laughs> starting, you're starting to call. Um, Zach and I are going to put the podcast on hold. Put it like let the feed go dormant. Um, we're not officially canceling the podcast no. because we may return for one-offs if a specific topic um, interests us. But we're going <laughs> to let it go dormant in terms of s- regularly scheduled episodes because the load has just gotten a little bit too much um, throughout the run. of changing. Our lives have just changed a lot. Like when you, we started this podcast, it was pandemic. Zach lived in a different place. I was still in school. It just was a lot of things that are different. Life has changed for both of us. And um, Zach came to me and said, you know, I don't know I can do this anymore. And I was like, you know, I've sort of been feeling this for myself for a while. Um, we also sort of started the podcast. idea. The We've been doing like four episodes a month. Yeah. and it is rapidly expanding I mean, we've i, I did the math <laughs> it's definitely our own fault but also like we we let it ex- we kind of it let it got away from us um we made a podcast that was probably supposed to do you know 48 50 episodes in the first year and it did like 80 episodes in the first year and you know there was four wasn't- hours of
1: justice league
0: yeah and we, we we had a lot we had a lot of fun we had a lot of amazing guests um I think the biggest moment that we both realized at this point that we probably weren't going to be able to keep going is that we picked a topic for November that we would have been announcing to right now. And we picked it and it just sat there we for a month and a half. We never talked about the movies. We never we never even got close. I kept saying I'll make a list. I kept not making the list. Zach, I kept waiting for Zach to bring it up. He didn't because he was too overwhelmed and I was overwhelmed. And it was just – for the you know the sake of our mental health and our sanity and our real lives, um, putting the podcast on hold yeah. is uh, the show as you people.
1: know it is done. The weekly themes, yes. but some of those special episodes, like the Justice League four hours or Oscar shows or Best of the some Year, some people may co- we may come back and do.
0: You and co-host all owe me a commentary. Um, um, oh, show we do. It, did show you, did you co- win? Yeah, I did win.
1: Oh, so we don't get to do Eurovision. I think me you and Koho need to do a Eurovision. We could, just,
0: we could do a Eurovision extra. That be fun. <laughs> um, we could do that. But yes, regularly scheduled monthly things done. Possibility of one off reviews. You still uh, want to hang of the out. Year. Any There's, excuse for us to see each other. I think we're gonna always going to have fun talking about movies. The thing that was really killing us and making us un, untenable was um, trying to schedule trying to schedule and tape and you know get ahead of it every single month i mean we also had we've also had several patches recently where just like lives got so crazy that we didn't tape for like two weeks and thank god we were three weeks ahead on taping otherwise we wouldn't have had episodes but like you know
1: and once i've watched the movie right before we filmed
0: i I had a a couple of those myself for like the morning of the podcast i was having to watch them because i didn't have time up there like literally you know your life has gotten too crazy when you're looking at your life and being like okay I'm doing a podcast Sunday, which means I need to start watching that movie Friday in case I need to give myself extra time. Like yeah. you know, if I
1: did a Ripley, I had to watch it over two days. Yeah.
0: It just life gets crazy. Um, we're sorry if anyone's disappointed. Uh, you know, if you we,
1: are, we, I appreciate you being disappointed. <laughs> I wouldn't have ever expected that.
0: Yeah. Thank um, you everyone listening. Thank you. We just want to, you know, finally, um, we will, you will probably see us back someday. Um don't look for episodes every week because they won't be there, but, you know, just be excited if an episode does show up. Um, and finally, we wanted to thank anyone who joined us in the podcast. We've All of our guests have been wonderful. Many of them returned for two, three, four times. Um, had a lot of wonderful people come on and, you know, give up their time and give up their evenings to watch a movie and then talk about it with us. And so that's been a real pleasure. And then, of course, like anyone who's listened, I'm, most of our audience has been people who've also been on the show, but, you know, anyone who's outside of that audience who has taken time to listen, um, who has commented or liked, you know, yeah. thank you so much. We never thought that I, I, when we started this, I don't think we expected to last a year. I don't think we expected to do nearly 90 episodes um, to do so much and be so organized. And we kind of made it work, but then it just reached a point where it couldn't work anymore. The 90 episodes all, will always exist. Absolutely. We'll leave them up for
1: you. Enjoy. legacy is made, I can die now. And <laughs> I have left my imprint on this earth. Absolutely, ninety random YouTube and podcast episodes. <laughs> it's actually eighty-nine. We never reached ninety. God, this. Yeah, we should probably should have just carried out for eleven more episodes, but it's okay.
0: Sorry, right. we'll, we'll, you know, we'll get. There's we no count seven. as you do special ones, and then we 90. have to really stop at hundred. We'll really stop at hundred. We'll do that. All right. Well, with that being said, thank you to everyone who listened. Um, I'd say like and subscribe, but you know the feed will. Still go do normal. it
1: because also I, subscribe to the video store. They're still doing shit. We'll be here.
0: Yeah, we'll be back someday. Maybe
1: not um, till the first week of January when we do our recap, but yes.
0: Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll give you an idea. Um, thank you, everyone. Um, with that being said, good night.
1: Good night.